0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from the
1: city of London, I'm Julia Chatley. This is First Move, and here's what you need to know. Coronavirus spreading, it's now overtaken SARS with more than 6,000 infected in China. An iPhone smash, Apple's earnings beat with bumper phone sales and services numbers, and losses mount at Boeing. The new CEO saying the max crisis will cost over $18 billion. It's Wednesday, let's make a move. And also warm, welcome to you all. I have to say that I'm warm, of course, and we are coming to you live from the City of London. We are on the countdown to the UK's exit from the EU on Friday when everything changes and yet nothing changes. We'll be discussing throughout the show, but there's so much else to talk about as well. Take a look at what we're seeing for global markets. Ex-Asia, they've got a firmer tone once again today following the sharp sell-off earlier this week, of course, on coronavirus fears Asia itself. A pretty mixed bag, as we saw the Hang Seng reopening following the Lunar New Year holiday. More on the details of that shortly. But elsewhere in the world, European shares also up for a second day. US futures are green, meanwhile. What we're seeing right now is stock steadying, supported by some pretty solid US corporate earnings. Let me give you a sense of it in terms of the numbers here. More than 65% of US companies have beaten expectations so far, though, of course, the challenge now is what they say about the outlook, particularly in light of the uncertainty created by the spread of the coronavirus, Starbucks And Apple have already warned about a possible hit to the current quarter based on stores or their supply chains. The risks from this health emergency remain incredibly tough to gauge. Let's get to the drivers on that story and bring you the latest. The number of confirmed cases of the coronavirus in China has overtaken the numbers infected during the 2003 SARS outbreak. More than 6,000 people have been impacted at this stage and 30 have died. Died. japan and the u.s are evacuating their citizens british airways is the latest airline to suspend flights to the mainland david cover is in beijing for us david just give us the latest and, and what you're hearing there
2: hi there julia well the latest comes out of the health world and really we know that the leader of the world health organization has met with president xi jinping And together, they have agreed to bring in international scientists so that they could work collectively on research and work to really figure out how exactly this coronavirus transmits from one person to another. The reason that's so important is because it could then lead to figuring out what exactly the quarantine period should be. Should it really be the two weeks that they're suggesting? and they can understand a little bit more about the containment efforts and how effective they can be going forward. Uh, There's also some private money going into this, Julia. We've learned that the billionaire founder of Alibaba, Jack Ma is donating uh, roughly 14.4 million US dollars in hopes of finding a vaccine. So he's contributing to the research, but we're also in the midst of what's seeming to be uh, an elongated lunar new year holiday. It's been extended till February 2nd. The reason for that is quite obvious. During the return uh, to businesses and, and the end of the holiday, you've got the mass migration continuing, right? You've got hundreds of millions of people who will then be coming back together and going back into the cities, cities like where we are here in Beijing. And so for now, they're delaying that, hoping that that congregating of the masses won't be happening on whether it be the rails the skies or really in and the cars so they're hoping to keep people apart so that then that is part of the containment effort but there is certainly an economic part of this that that we're seeing uh you have not only the transportation shutdown within cities uh, certainly within the lockdown zone some 15 cities and 60 million people impacted by that But also, as you mentioned, several of the airlines either cutting back or cutting their flights altogether to and from mainland China. Not to mention, it seems like mainland Chinese tourists aren't really as welcomed right now in the midst of all of this. In fact, uh, several different countries have put up restrictions to people who have either traveled to or from Hubei province, the epicenter of all of this or even in some cases have come to mainland China altogether they're they're putting in that quarantine period and asking folks essentially to stay away for that 2 week duration julia
1: I just want to uh, ask you uh, very briefly here. You know, I made the point that now we've got greater cases than, than stars, but when this first began, we were suggesting here that we simply didn't get the truth from the Chinese authorities. During that SARS outbreak, to to what extent are people perhaps appreciating the the greater communication, perhaps a greater degree of honesty here? Or is that the fact that we've now seen more cases of infections in, in mainland China than we saw in SARS frightening people here? Just what are people saying?
2: You need to go. Yeah, go back. I would suggest a week and a half. And this was described, Julia, as preventable and controllable by one of the health officials. Then fast forward to where we are today. And in the past couple of days, we've seen President Xi Jinping come out and say that he personally is taking control of the deployment and coordination efforts here. And that is significant. He's putting himself in the leading role. And that also suggests that he's putting increased pressure on the local governments, governments that some argue— really are behind the mess that is this outbreak they feel like in many cases there was not enough transparency early on in this and that there was some cover-up and under reporting even That's the allegation, and and that's the finger that's been pointed at even people like uh, the mayor of Wuhan, for example. Now, he has suggested in his interviews with state media in particular that he had uh, perhaps not done things in a timely fashion, as it was characterized, but also said that he needed approval from higher-ups, that he had to go through the state council, for example. And he seemed to suggest that he didn't get that. So there's a lot of, as of now, kind of... um, I would say passive blame game that's going on right now. There's not as overt as one, but it's something that you need to be watching because I think it will play out going forward and be interesting to see how uh, the central government versus the local government dynamics move on.
1: Yeah, David Culver there in Beijing, great to have you with us Thank you for that Now, Stocks in Hong Kong fell almost 3% on their first day of trading since the Lunar New Year holiday of course, the Hang Seng falling to 7 week lows all of this as multinationals try to get a handle on how the coronavirus will impact operations Anna Stewart joins me now Anna, I'd have to argue that some of this is catch up from the weakness that we saw elsewhere in the world Mm. earlier on this week, but there's a real tale of two halves, some significant losers, those attached to tourism for example and then some winners in, in the biotech industry, just walk us through this
3: yeah, I'd say there's more bad news than good news for equities in Hong Kong. And as you said, it's that catch-up that the index is really playing. It's being closed for a holiday. It's having to catch up on all the broader sell-off we saw early in the week. So Monday, European equities were down. So were U.S. equities and, of course, elsewhere in Asia. If you look at the indices in Asia from the trading session, you'll see that both Japan's Nikkei and the South Korean KOSPI both actually made some recoveries. But that Hang Seng nearly down 3%. And the stocks that were really hit very hard, unsurprisingly, travel particularly the airlines due to all the containment measures, they're certainly under pressure. Uh, Cathay Pacific nearly down 3%, Air China down over 4%, Macau, gambling, gambling, sorry, the casino stocks also really under pressure. And that's not surprising. We actually had some stats out on tourism down some 75% just for the Lunar New Year. The last few days compared to 2019, significantly down. So those casino stocks very much under pressure. But you did mention there were some bright spots and there certainly is one that is stellar and skyrocketing venture pharma laboratories, a little known biotech firm up 285% today. It is working with a research firm on vaccines. Of course, that could take a long time, but it's clearly investors putting their money somewhere. Julia.
1: Wow. What a rally on the hopes, it seems, of a vaccine here. Anna, I want to talk to you as well about, one, the reaction that we saw from investors. They tend to get straight involved on a story like this and and react instantly. But we are starting to see corporate strategies being formed here and executed,
3: particularly as far as the airlines are concerned, just in the last 12 or so hours. Yeah, we're getting a slew of announcements. You're right. Early in the week, we actually had almost more Mm. share price reaction than we're getting. Now the companies are reporting what they plan to do in terms of travel restrictions and so forth. Investors fear the worst. Corporate strategy uh, kind of follows on later. So British Airways today said they are cancelling all their flights to and from China. That's actually only two direct flights a day. Uh, A bigger story really was United Airlines yesterday because they're cancelling 24 direct flights to China. That's around a third of their total flights uh, into the country. Finnair cancelled all. All of theirs, that's around five a week. Now, some of this is because governments are suggesting uh, that you know non-essential travel should be banned, but also, frankly, the sentiment. Plenty of passengers simply won't want to travel. There's a load factor to consider there as well. Elsewhere in corporates, we have Facebook, Goldman Sachs, Ford, Johnson and Johnson stand in charge. All sorts of corporates saying they are either banning or restricting restricting non-essential travel for employees. And of course, all those companies that are closing up shop in certain areas. We've got Starbucks, McDonald's, and now IKEA is the latest one to announce some store closures in China. Anna it. Great to have you with
1: us. Thank you so much for that. All right, let's move on to our next driver. Stocks of Apple jumping pre-market in the pre-market trading after the tech giant reported the second best quarter in history for iPhone sales. Well and truly smashing expectations. Apple says its quarterly revenues increased 9% from a year ago to a cool $92 billion. The number was also boosted by strong sales of AirPods and Apple watches as well as subscription services. Christine Romans is live in new york with all the details for us christine great to have you with us i saw some comments from the uh, chief executive saying if you add in what we've got for watches airpods and beats 10 billion dollars worth of revenue it's a fortune 150 company all by itself right this
4: was a blowout quarter. It really was. I mean, the shine back on the apple to use a, a terrible apple pun, but it really was here. And ninety-two billion a record for sales overall. I mean, just think of what this company is producing and selling here. Let me break it down for you by category. You still have the iPhone. It is still half of the sales of this company, and it was a um, it was a resurgence in the iPhone that really is a big f- factor here as well. Overall sales almost ninety-two billion. iPhone uh, pr- sales up eight percent there to fifty. 6 billion services you're absolutely right there they the credit card, the Apple TV, these new things that they're introducing to get you to use and love your iPhone more and spend more money, uh, services up 17% and wearables, those new AirPods among those really doing well here. Um, look, Tim Cook, the CEO said that the China factor here was favorable for the, for the company as well. You know, I think it sells something like 15% of its, of its, uh, Apple's overall revenue comes from China and something about the, uh, iPhone 11, it, the cost, The features, the camera, those were a hit in China. Now, we've been talking about the coronavirus, of course, that did introduce a new uncertainty into the mix for the company this year because it is so exposed to China, the coronavirus. We just don't know how that is going to factor out. He didn't mention it as one of the, uh, the risks or at least a factor in the mix for this year, but sounded overly overall pretty optimistic, Julia. Yeah,
1: tough to find anything to complain about here and what a difference a year makes. Christine Romans, thank you so much for that. All right, next driver, Boeing, has reported its first annual loss in more than 20 years. The playmaker posting a net loss of $636 million in 2019 as the cost of the 737 MAX crisis continues to climb. Claire Sebastian joins us on this. Claire, I have to say when I looked at the details here, the forecasts for the overall potential losses attached to this crisis, what we're talking more than $18 billion, this is a new CEO taking the worst-case scenario kitchen sinking here and we'll try and then move on.
5: Yeah, 16 days uh, into the job, Julia. David Calhoun, is. Uh, this is his first earnings report. And this is Boeing's first uh, annual loss since 1997. To put that in context, before 1997, they hadn't made an annual loss since 1959. So this is not a company uh, that posts these kinds of losses. So, so a serious problem uh, for the company. But as you say, they are disclosing more costs when it comes to the 737 MAX. Let's take a look at some of those. Uh, among them, 2.6 billion in new concessions to, to airlines. This is crucial as this crisis uh, drags on another 2.6 billion in terms of increased production costs uh, for last year and they are forecasting another 4 billion rise in production costs in 2020 that is of course impacted by the pause in production for the 737 max and the cost associated with that so that pretty much doubles what we already had nine plus nine uh, now 18 billion is the the projected cost of this and that could still go up julia if you talk to analysts they say that airlines are going to continue to demand more concessions we've heard that for example from southwest as they reported earlier Last week, but the CEO David Calhoun, he is committed to transparency. He has already been uh, on television this morning, and he was asked about the future of the 737 Max. Should it continue to be called that, or is that name tainted? Take a listen.
6: Well, I'm not going to market my way out of this, right? So, yeah, I love Steve. I was with him a couple of days ago, um, and he's right in the sense that uh, the Max has a has something attached to it today. Um, but again, we believe this airplane is safer than the safest airplane flying today. Every next airplane has to be that way. It has to be that way for Boeing. It has to be that way for our competitors. Um, so uh, what we call it, trying to relabel it, trying to merchandise that, no. Uh, this plane will recover with a flying public when airplane pilots step on it, fly it, like it. And by the way, based on all the test flights we've had to date, which are which are many, mm-hmm. they do. So as as all those pilots return, so will passengers.
5: Well, that remains to be seen, uh, Julia. How the confidence of passengers returns, but but as for the markets, the the stock is up pre market now some two point seven percent. So a bit of a relief rally, perhaps a uh, sell the rumor, by the news scenario this morning.
1: Yeah, I mean, what it's down 25% that stock since March 10th, of course, the, the first tragedy last year remains to be seen to your point. Claire Sebastian, thank you for that. Let me bring you up to speed now with some of the other stories making headlines around the world. In the coming hours, the impeachment trial of U.S. President Donald Trump moves into a new phase. House managers and President Trump's defense lawyers will spend two days answering questions submitted by both Republican and Democratic senators. It comes at a critical time. CNN has learned that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has admitted he does not currently have the votes to block witness testimony. Over to Brussels now, and the European Parliament is due to formally approve Britain's Brexit deal. The special session in a few hours' time will also mark the last day of work for the Parliament's 73 British lawmakers, including the Brexit party's Nigel Farage. Meanwhile, in the British Parliament, the Prime Minister has defended the decision to use Huawei technology in its 5G rollout. The US has raised the alarm about the Chinese tech giant. Meanwhile, Boris Johnson is set to meet with the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on Thursday.
7: I want to assure the House and indeed the country that I think it is absolutely vital that people in this country do have access to the best technology available but that we also do absolutely nothing to imperil our relationship with the United States to do anything to compromise our critical national security infrastructure or to do anything to imperil our extremely valuable cooperation with Five Eyes security partners
1: plenty more to come here on first move live from london we are on the countdown to friday's official brexit we'll take a closer look a look at the upcoming separation as britain's departure from the eu fast approaches stay with us we'll be back after this back to First Move. We are live in London, counting down to Friday's Brexit, of course, but also keeping a close eye on what's going on back home with the markets. U.S. futures still on track for a solidly higher open, as you can see, following Tuesday's bounce-back rally. Plenty to discuss. We're joined by Tina Fordham. She's recently joined the political advisory and law firm Avonhurst as a partner and head of global political strategy. Congratulations Thank Thank you very on much. the new role. Great to be with you. We'll talk about that in a second, but I do just want to get your assessment Assessment. Clearly, focused right now, front and centre, coronavirus and their risk even packed. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, we, we've. So of been here
8: before with with SARS and and, uh, HN1. Um, It's early days in terms of understanding the transmission of the virus. But you've already seen financial markets um, have a bit of a wobble. What do we need to watch for next? Um, uh, Very unfortunately, um, uh, death toll. Uh, And also, really, this is a test of the Chinese authorities' Mm. policy response, right? Um, The quarantine of 35 million people uh, isn't going to be so easy to force. Certain um, uh, sectors are more sensitive to to this, whether it's um, airlines, miners, uh, etc. But I think that um, we've definitely seen a return to the idea of a global virus moving
1: up Uh, the the chain of 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 worries for investors you know it's interesting we were just mentioning earlier on the show we've now got more people infected with coronavirus in China than we saw infected during the SARS virus in 2003 and yet the predictions that I've seen coming from analysts of the the hit to Chinese growth right now I think ING Bank came out with a 0.3% dent modest it's incredibly modest yes
8: and let's remember again and you know on on the epidemiology front uh, Flues kill thousands of people in, in developed countries every year, even even tens of thousands in, in, in larger cases. Um, so understanding whether this is a sort of a two month phenomenon that Chinese authorities can contain or a year long phenomenon is really what's going to move the needle for investors about whether this virus is potentially more disruptive than U.S. China trade. Uh. And that was tough for markets, but also it's equally difficult didn't have a
1: massive impact on on the growth outlook remember yeah I mean these are factors that investors are gonna have to gauge and and think about this year where do you hide or you don't you just continue to watch the news because to your point and I've made the point at the top of the show you just can't gauge right now there's too many uncertainties and the comparison with 2003 is that we didn't get all the facts in 2003 perhaps the numbers are so different because we are now actually understanding well and we don't know what the transmission mechanism is as well the idea that uh, a
8: man in Japan who was nowhere near Wuhan has come down with a virus will will be the kind of thing that will um, set uh, the market jitters uh, uh, just expect
1: more of that yes Speaking of jitters or not, so this week, I feel like this is a culmination of a moment that we've spent years yes. now discussing. Out in the cold. Yes. yes. I, I said again, everything changes, but actually nothing changes because yeah. we're going into this transition mechanism. What do you think well, coming into of, Friday? Speaking
8: someone based in the UK, yeah. as we've traded places, I think the most striking thing is just how anticlimactic yes. this impending Brexit uh, you know date feels. Um, I've seen a few analyses looking at uh, the extent to which the, the sort of the current withdrawal plan would be a hit to the UK economy and how different it might have been compared to um, exiting with no deal. And again, we just don't know. I I doubt we're going to see much market response at all after January 31st. Um, So apart from blue passports and a a shiny new 50p coin, um, there isn't going to be a discernible effect. I think if there's a question now, though, it's about what we can get done in in 11 months yes and the almost you know a uh, certain fact that we will be looking at a two to i don't know maybe three year transition period for investors that's probably not a terrible outcome because now the clarity that was sought Brexit is now happening status quo prevails i wouldn't go so far as to say it's a non event but it's not perhaps a market event yes. in the traditional sense of
1: being an event risk more of a process. Event risk this year feels like it's culminating on 2020. We're very yes. focused on what's going on in DC right now, whether that will impact the election. What are you saying to clients about 2020 and the potential shifts that we can see? I've seen headlines with Mike Bloomberg as well. Mike Bloomberg's
8: candidacy, um, I, I think, is uh, is over-anticipated is it? by uh, our colleagues um, in New York on Wall Street. Um, of course i would say at this point most investors are expecting a second trump term uh, but we don't have a democratic nominee yet so super tuesday in march will be huge um uh, for sure any candidate any outcome other than trump winning a second term would be perceived negatively by by equity markets But I'm not sure investors really understand what they should uh, be looking for in a second Trump term, because one of the things, and this might tie into the points about Evenhurst um, uh, and and why I've moved to uh, to a law firm, is will the United States be a country that stands up for rule of law um, or will it continue its, its um, ambivalence or move away from international
1: institutions like the WTO. We'll come back to that and congratulations again on your company because we'll talk in depth about the shift uh, when we get you back. Tina Fordham, partner and head of Global Political Strategy at Avonhurst. We're counting down to the market open this Wednesday morning. It is expected to be a strong one. Stay with us. Back for more after this. First move and you're looking at clapping smiling faces back at the New York Stock Exchange where US stocks are rising for a second straight session, regaining much of what was lost during Monday's sell-off. I think we should expect investors to remain sensitive to those coronavirus headlines as Tina Fordham was just mentioning there. And I said Dutch bank ING has said the impact of the virus could knock 0.3% from Chinese GDP in 2020, bringing it down to 5.6%. That would clearly be a disappointment for those who were hoping China would provide an extra kick to global growth in 2020. Also keep an ear open. Four headlines from the Federal Reserve later today when it provides the first policy statement of 2020, if indeed they say something about the potential risks here. Let me walk you through today's global movers. In the meantime, Starbucks trading lower, the company reporting better than expected Q4 profits, but it warned that the coronavirus will hurt results going forward. Starbucks has been forced to temporarily close half of its Chinese stores. Microsoft, meanwhile trading flat. The fast food giant McDonald's, I apologise, not Microsoft reporting better than expected profits. Revenues coming in line with expectations. Investors may be focusing on coronavirus risks here too. McDonald's closing locations in a number of Chinese cities too. What about GE? Well, they're higher by 8.5%. The company's Q4 results beating estimates. It's also raising its cash flow forecast for the year. GE shares have risen 36% in in the past year on turnaround hopes and as we've been reporting boeing shares are higher by some two and a half percent they reported their first annual loss in 22 years but new ceo david Calhoun says he's confident regulators will allow the 737 max to fly again by mid-year What about Apple shares? They are higher in the session. This after the company delivered record quarterly revenues. Apple raked in nearly $92 billion in just three months following soaring sales of iPhones and performance across the business. Let's be clear. Scott Galloway joins us now. He's Professor of Marketing at the NYU Stern School of Business. Scott, fantastic to have you with us. Thoughts on Apple here?
6: Uh, Good to be with you, Julie. Yeah, the largest or the most valuable company in the world has a blowout quarter. Um, iPhone sales look to be slowing, and that's no longer the case. They've renewed their growth. Services revenue up 18%. The wearables business, that is the uh, AirPods and the iWatch or the Apple Watch, excuse me, are now on their own. A Fortune 150 company up a staggering 38%. So on any dimension, you'd have to call this... Not only a blowout quarter, but a very strong indicator of how the globally affluent are doing, because Apple sales, to a certain extent, are somewhat of a proxy or an indicator for how the world's one and a half billion wealthiest people are doing. And, the, you know, they're just all indications are a very strong green light here.
1: In your 2020 predictions, and I love this, you talk about Apple forming a Rundle relationship with the 100 million wealthiest people in the planet, and that's what generates across all platforms and their offerings a further 30% rise in the share price. Talk me through how we go from that to where we are today.
6: Well, since I made that prediction, I think the stock's up 12 to 15%, so we're halfway there. But if you look at (laughs) Microsoft. If you look at Microsoft, that was the most valuable company in the world to a month ago, or Amazon, who's added the most shareholder value in the last five years of any company, maybe with the exception of Apple. What they have that Apple doesn't have is a recurring revenue bundle. And that is Microsoft has a recurring revenue relationship with the global corporate world in the form of Microsoft Office. Apple has a recurring revenue relationship with 72% of U.S. households in the form of Prime. And I believe Apple is putting in place between Apple TV Plus Plus. Between uh, Apple News, Apple Music, the opportunity to offer people a monthly fee where maybe you get your AirPods, your Mac, your music, your TV, all for one monthly fee and enter into this, if you will, monogamous relationship with the consumer. And as a result, even without earnings growth, the stock will go up because the market loves these recurring revenue businesses. That's why software and cable companies and Syndicated research companies traded a multiple of revenues versus transactional companies like retail traded a multiple of profits. So I think Apple is putting in place all of the pieces to move to a recurring revenue bundle, which they'll announce in 2020. And I think the stocks can accelerate just on the change of business model.
1: What about privacy? here because this is something that Apple and Tim Cook have put first and foremost as part of the brand of Apple's business here but we have seen them wrestling to some degree with the FBI over encrypted data and we know in thousands, hundreds of thousands of cases they have done their best to help enforcement officers over the last seven years or so where these kind of issues have raised but they've never given access to encrypted data. Is this a drag potentially or does this help them because they continue to fly the flag of of privacy first.
6: I think on a business level, it's probably a smart move in the sense that basically the compact that these companies have with consumers globally is if you're wealthy and you can afford an iPhone, we're only going to pull 80 to 100 data points a day. But if you don't have as much money and you want a phone for a, a better value phone, which is typically powered by Android. We're going to pull somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 data points a day. I would argue that when we live in a society where we've decided to fetishize the phone and make it different than your home or your car with under the auspices of a search warrant from a judge, we can get in. When we've decided that the iPhone is so sacred that nobody can get in, including our national security agencies or the police, that we've entered a dangerous area where we've decided to ignore the balance we've struck between law enforcement and our national security agencies and consumer privacy. So I think this is a bigger societal issue, but from a pure brand positioning issue to say to people, we are the one safe place. The iPhone is your one. Your one your your one lockbox that you can trust is always going to be private is a great brand positioning and they have held to that brand positioning. It'll be a bigger social or a bigger political issue than a business issue. But from a brand standpoint, I like everything Apple does, it's in my opinion, it's a it's a great move.
1: It's also a perfect segue to talk about Facebook. At this moment, and we've got Facebook earnings after the close today, and we can talk about the numbers here, but again, in your 2020 outlook, you well and truly lay into Sheryl Sandberg. I mean, I can quote, she wins the silver medal second to Zuck for making the most money while doing the most damage to the world. Does that matter ultimately to investors and to those that use a whole array of Facebook products here? We don't care enough about our privacy.
6: It doesn't appear. Uh, it, you know, Looking at these numbers, and if I believe the numbers are probably going to, Facebook is probably going to offer another blowout of 25% increase in top line. The reality is if you didn't know what was going on with the weaponization of our elections, with the link between social media and teen depression, you wouldn't know that this is happening if you just looked at the numbers because Instagram continues to accelerate, Facebook continues to be... Uh, the most used social media app in the world. The company controls two-thirds of the market for social media, two and a half billion users. But the reality is, is we have a a gentleman in his 30s that hasn't shown a great deal of regard for the Commonwealth who now oversees the algorithms that decide the content that a population the size of the southern hemisphere plus India controls. We we have kind of lost the script in terms of any checks and balances. And also this is an individual who could be with us for another 70 years and can't be removed from office. So I would argue that their inability to protect us from the weaponization of our elections, the refusal to acknowledge the link between social media and teen depression makes these individuals The winners of the individuals who have made the most money while doing the most damage to the commonwealth. I think there's I think Facebook is a very controversial company and I trust and hope our elected officials will get the backbone and the domain expertise to regulate this company just as we've regulated other every other media company.
1: Yeah, and if they break them up, the uh, parts could be worth more than the whole. It's going to be fascinating to look back on this. Scott, fantastic to have you with us, too. Scott Galloway, Professor of Marketing at the NYU Stern School of Business. Thank you again. Thanks, All right, God. we're going to take a break, break here on First Move, but up next, learning the lessons of Brexit with just days to go until Britain formally leaves the EU. My next guest says Remainers could learn a few things from the Brexit party's Nigel Farage. I speak to the former leader of the UK's Liberal Democrats. That's up next. to first move live from London hours from now. Europe's Parliament will approve the UK's Brexit deal and bid farewell to its 73 British members. One of them, though, could not be happier to say goodbye.
7: You know, to, to, to lose my job for almost 21 years. Um, I, I am the turkey that, prov- that goes on voting for Christmas. Finally, it's happening. Many of my British colleagues, of course, are very, very unhappy about this because this is the best job they're ever going to have in their lives, most of them. Uh, so I wasn't. I have to say there was a certain frostiness in the breakfast room of my hotel this morning with a large Liber- with a large Liberal Democrat delegation having breakfast next to me.
1: As Farage transitions into a new career, my next guest says Remainers could learn a thing or two from the Brexit Party leader. Joining me now is Vince Cable, former British business secretary and former Liberal Democrats leader. Great to have you with us. Thank you. I feel like we've talked at numerous points throughout the last two and a half, three years. What does this moment feel like?
7: Well, actually, it's a bit
1: anticlimactic.
7: Yeah, we've had Um, that on the show. I mean, you know, the issue was resolved politically almost two months ago once the general election was called. Um, Nothing is going to happen very much for several months. I mean, there are some big decisions coming up around specific things like fisheries. But we will... You know, there, was a bit, there may be, we get to a difficult point in the late summer when the government has to decide whether it's going to settle for some kind of agreement or pull of the so-called WTO route, but nothing's going to happen immediately
1: about lessons learned? What did you mean when you said that people could learn something from Nigel Farage? I mean, he was saying today, earlier in Brussels, um, that comment there that I'm the turkey that voted for Christmas, he's been there battling to leave, and it began as something that was a slight possibility, and, and now it's happened.
7: Well, he is a very formidable politician. I mean, he's never been in Parliament, but, you know, he's achieved, in t- his terms, a great deal, and I think one of the lessons is patience, and consistency, and plugging uh, I, I don't think there will be a great clamour to rejoin the European Union in the next few years, but if it turns out badly, Brexit, as I think it may, we don't know, but it may, then the momentum will start to gather and the, the, the arguments will start to be deployed. I suspect that within five to ten years we could be back there again in some form.
1: Really? Hmm. Just in uh, terms I don't know, of a closer but I, I think relationship? we've got to keep that
7: option open and... You know, people have seen the benefits of membership of the European Union, and, and like myself. I think we've got to continue to make the case in a in a modest way. I mean, there's no point shrieking and trying to pretend that Brexit hasn't happened when it has. Uh, but but I think as the evidence mounts up, I think we we got to then make the case.
1: What evidence? Because there will be people watching the television now, banging their hands against their heads, saying, actually, we need to make the best of this situation now. A bit of Dunkirk spirit, by british galvanise confidence in the economy and, and confidence in the country to go it alone here and, and determine our own futures. What's the risk here? Because you did write in The Independent that the risk is that a, a, a very loose deal with the EU gets done, we give ground to the United States. You're really worried about the what the next 11 months brings.
7: Yes, I mean, I, 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 I never believed in catastrophe. I mean, I think that what we're looking at potentially is a kind of slow puncture when, you know, actually it's going to be economically costly, particularly if we opt out of so-called alignment, the single market, and it will gradually deflate the, deflate the British economy, there will therefore be less government revenue, and people will gradually feel this in years to come, but but not catastrophic. Um, I mean, the, the the big challenge for the British government in the next few months is is that that they have to get real and realize that actually their bargaining power is very limited, I mean they have some, but it's not vast, and our bargaining power with the Americans is even less Um, because for them it's not essential to have an agreement with the, the, the UK and Trump may or may not win Congress may or may not go along with what he's negotiated. So it, it, it is quite a tough position, not from Remainers' point of view, we're just observing, but from the government point of view.
1: Do you regret, and when we look back now, what we saw was that the Remain, the parties that represented Remain, were so different, there was disunity... Joe Swinson, of course, making the decision, or at least at the forefront of the decision, to uh, talk about revoking Article 50 and a unilateral revoking. Do you wish you'd stayed as the leader of the of the party and led a more united, inclusive message? No,
7: I, I, I don't regret leaving. I mean, It was time to go. You, you, I planned a succession. It worked out the way it did, but there's no point yeah you know, over go, old ground. It's, it's happened, and we've got to be realistic about it. I, I do regret the fact that the issue of Brexit wasn't resolved through a referendum. It may well have gone for Brexit, in which case that would have been the end of the matter. But I think the way it's evolved is, I mean, we knew we lost heavily part, because of the Corbyn factor. Mm. And all kind of other issues got involved in it. So it wasn't a clean result. And, uh, and that's partly why this issue is going to linger.
1: Friday, 11 p.m., endgame. Vince Cable, to have you with us. Thank you, Vince Cable there, former business secretary and former Liberal Democratic leader. All right, the World Economic Forum in Davos, known for attracting the global business elite and policy makers every year. We're just back, of course, from last week, but it's also a chance for charities and NGOs to get a big platform to pitch their causes. In today's Innovate Africa, we introduce Malakaya. It's a non-profit helping girls in the Democratic Repombo, Republic of Congo. Listen in. Seven days before the start of this year's WEF meeting, and the founder of the Malaika Foundation, Noella Casares, is in London making final preparations.
9: It's very important to highlight the work that Malaika has been doing over the last 13 years, how we created a model community-driven to enhance quality education and healthcare programs. For
1: years, the model-turned-activist has been trying to get the world to take notice of the Democratic Republic of Congo and, in particular, the challenges young people face. Her foundation aims to empower young girls through education. Noella was born in the DRC, but left aged five after her father died. In Europe, she had a successful career in modeling, but her true passion was trying to help young girls in Africa.
9: Africa is the future. Africa is now. So we need to have absolutely more African women being on the global stage, speaking about all the issues. And I believe investing in the youth is going to be the transformation uh, for, for Africa. Noella is, of course, not the only person trying to promote Africa.
1: Mamadou Toure set up Africa 2.0 in 2010, his vision of the future.
8: The way I would summarize it, it's a connected Africa. It's it's an ambitious Africa. And it's an Africa that doesn't have any complex. You know, I think... uh, you know, there has been the post-independence um, generation that still had a bit of a that stigma. I think the younger generation, you know, they 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 think they're as good as anyone else, and uh, they can do uh, anything that anyone else can do. People have the feeling that they can do it. Therefore, impossible is not African. I
9: never imagined that um, when I left Congo at five years old that that will be. Speaking to all these global audience, but um, it's not for me. It's really something deep down for my for my for my continent, and I take that very seriously. How I choose very carefully where I speak and who, which audience I'm speaking, and I really want to try to represent in a very diplomatic and authentic way. That's what Africa needs.
1: Meeting these innovators is one of the best parts of Davos. And you can watch our Innovate Africa series this Saturday. It airs at 1.30 p.m. in London, 8.30 a.m. in New York, right here on CNN. We'll be right back. Take your Welcome back to the show with a look at today's boardroom brief. Chipotle is agreeing to pay a $1.3 million fine for child labor violations at its Massachusetts restaurants. The state attorney general's office says the company hired teenagers under 18 without proper work permits and also kept them on the job for too many hours per day. Chipotle released a statement saying it will ensure that its restaurants, quote, are in full compliance with all laws and regulations. Alibaba founder Jack Ma is donating more than $14 million in the battle against coronavirus. His foundation says some of the money will go to two Chinese research organizations to help find a vaccine. The rest will be used to support treatment and prevention. Alibaba has already set up a $144 million fund to buy medical supplies for Wuhan and Hubei province. Perel put on notice. The Food and Drug Administration tells the company to stop claiming its hand sanitizers can prevent diseases like Ebola. It comes as the U.S. copes with flu season and as the coronavirus outbreak spreads in Asia. Gojo Industries, Perel's parent company, has since removed some claims from its website. All right, let's take a last look at U.S. markets. Stocks remain on the comeback trail this Wednesday. U.S. majors are a bit off secession highs, but up more than three-tenths of one percent plus. The Nasdaq gaining pretty much everything back that it lost on Monday's sharp sell-off. The coronavirus fears not gone away by any means, though. Markets also focusing on some strong corporate results today too. Apple, as we've been discussing, opening in record territory after reporting strong Q1 profits, record revenues, and positive guidance. Also, watch out for the Fed later today. The Federal Reserve releasing its first policy statement of 2020, and that just about wraps it up for the show. I'm Julia Chasley. You can also listen to our podcast on cnn.com slash But for now, from London, you've been watching First Move. Time to go make yours. We'll see you tomorrow.
0: When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level.